The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Personology is a production of iHeartRadio. Martin Luther King Jr. was an activist, minister, and the most visible leader in the civil rights movement from 1955 until his death in 1968. He advanced civil rights through nonviolence and civil disobedience, inspired by his Christian beliefs and the nonviolent activism of Mahatma Gandhi. Welcome to Personology. I'm Dr. Gail Saltz, and my guest today is Claiborne Carson, director of the Martin Luther King Jr. Research and Education Institute, and he's the Martin Luther King Jr. Centennial Professor in the History Department at Stanford University. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was born in 1929 in Atlanta to Alberta and Martin Luther King. King Sr. had taken over the ministry of Ebenezer Baptist Church from Alberta's father, and the church became the very center of their lives. The young Martin Luther had many influences in his upbringing, but none more central than his father. He bore the name of his father. His father saw him as the firstborn son who was going to uh, become a preacher himself. You know, I think that that was kind of decided at an early age. And, and Martin was, was okay with that. Were there things in his relationship with his father that would foreshadow the direction that he would ultimately take? Well, he saw his father as a noble example. 
his father was someone who had come from poverty uh, to work himself into a role of being one of the leading ministers at Atlanta. He had struggled to get through Morehouse College because he had not had very much preparation um, in his childhood for uh, going to college. But he had managed to do that, and he had managed to uh, marry the daughter of one of the uh, leading ministers of Atlanta. For his son, he was the role model for what a minister could be, someone who was very concerned about the everyday lives of people in his congregation, someone who was outspoken on social issues. Mm-hmm. His father was a civil rights campaigner himself who uh, actually led protests in, in Atlanta. And his grandfather had been a civil rights leader, head of the local chapter of the NAACP in Atlanta. This really was his history. And it was expected that as someone who was essentially given more than his father, he could perhaps do more even than his father. I, I think so. I think he felt that he had a very privileged childhood, unlike his father and grandfather who had grown up in poverty. He had grown up as the son of a affluent uh, minister in Atlanta. And uh, he had a sense that he had a gift of leadership uh, that he could give back to the black community and, and help just as his father, he saw his father as, as someone who was always trying to uh, work for the benefit of the black community. And what was his relationship like with his mother? How would you describe that? I think he saw his, his mother as someone who was working behind the scenes. Uh, obviously, his father was publicly prominent, but he described his mother as someone who was always taking care of everything. And he kind of developed that as a role model for what a wife should be, someone who stays home, takes care of the kids, but also has a, a lot of talents that can be valuable in the church, but more in the background. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Being working with the choir is something that is done. You don't get a lot of public praise for that, but you do it because it helps uh, the church as a whole. So I think he grew up kind of understanding the gender roles, you know, that his mother was behind the scenes taking care of all the necessities, while his father was the person who was the public presence of the family. Can you talk about personality traits that may have been evident from an early age? Was he a loquacious kid? Was he a competitive kid? He was a good speaker. He won oratory contests as a young boy. He was someone who was concerned about social issues, outspoken. One of the things he did is he wrote a letter to the editor of the leading newspaper in Atlanta as a 15-year-old, protesting about uh, the conditions that black people face. And it got published, and that was the first publication by Martin Luther King. Wow. So he he was doing a number of things that indicated that he had this potential for leadership. He did go through a crisis in, in the sense of his religious faith. He did. He was not a fundamentalist like his father. He uh, questioned the Bible. He questioned many of the stories in the Bible. And it was only when he took a course by George Kelsey, his professor at, at Morehouse, that was the only course he got an A in. But it was also the the course where he learned to reconcile some of his doubts, what Kelsey would call the the deeper truths of the of the Bible. Some of the stories might be not literally true, but they conveyed moral truths mm-hmm. and that those were more important to, than whether Jonah was really swallowed by the whale and you know the, mm-hmm. many of the stories that are in the Bible. So was that a departure from his father's ideology then? 
Yes, I think he saw his father as more of a fundamentalist, that the Bible was just the truth. Uh, it was the Word of God. It was not to be questioned. But I think uh, Martin was someone who questioned things, and that actually prepared him um, for his ministry. Martin graduated Morehouse in 1948 at the age of 19 with a B.A. in sociology. He then went on to Crozer Theological Seminary to continue his education. Crozier Theological Seminary was one of the more advanced, and what I mean by that is it was more than simply training people to be ministers. It was training them to answer these theological questions. They had to understand that the Bible was a historical document. You know, it was not all written at the same time, and it was important to distinguish the different books of the Bible. Some of them were contradicted one another. So. All of these things were part of the deeper study of the Bible that he did during his time at Crozier. And it was there also that he he really developed his intellectual gifts. He was not a gifted student as an undergraduate, but once he got to Crozier, he realized that his mind really was drawn to theological questions. And he wanted to know what was the role of the modern minister, how can ministry actually help the people in terms of their everyday problems. One of the papers that he writes when he's at Crozier, he says that as a minister, he will deal with problems like unemployment, slums, and economic insecurity. I think he's still maybe 19 or 20 years old when he writes that. So he's he's already laid out his uh, life plan that he's not simply going to be preaching to his congregation. He's going to be preaching a gospel, he called it the social gospel, Mm -hmm. that will help them deal with their everyday problems. Was that a departure from how one went about being a minister, that that was not the norm? I think it was unusual in the sense that within the Baptist Church, most ministers felt that their job was simply uh, to deal with salvation, to emphasize the, the need for belief. His notion was that, yes, you need to do that, but you need to do more than that. You need to address the social issues that your congregation is dealing with. It wasn't enough to simply save their souls. You needed to make the world in which they lived something where they would be able to provide for their families and, and deal with the problems that he thought were important, You know, especially these economic issues mm-hmm. of poverty. He turned Christianity into a means of, of making the society better. But that's something that doesn't happen in most churches, at least at that time. You know, most ministers were content to, to simply tell the biblical stories and, and draw the moral lessons from them and not see the need to involve themselves in issues like civil rights. Let's take a quick break here. We'll be right back. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula, berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring, and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day, as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes. And Stafford and Mutual Weave for him. Style and comfort for all, even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. After King graduated from Crozier Theological Seminary in 1951, he again decided to continue his education, this time working on his doctorate at Boston University. And he was a very social, affable. It seems that he, even in those early years, got along well with people, had a, I guess I'd say a real charisma. People were already drawn to him. People who knew him when he was going to Boston University sometimes refer to him as the prince. You know, he, he was a person who, while uh, many students struggle economically while they're going through school, he had a new car when he came to Boston. He had a, an apartment paid for by his father. He was popular among both men and women. He was a socially engaging person, someone who was uh, well-respected by those around him. So he had that charisma that you see later in his life. And he was drawn to Coretta Scott, two years older than him? Yeah. A singer, musically talented, somebody who perhaps was less interested in being behind him and only a support and not having any accolades of her own. When he first called her in Boston in 1952, she wasn't that interested in going out with him. She was training to have a career in music and... The last thing she wanted to do was become a minister's wife, kind of 
raising the kids and staying in the background. Uh, she wanted to have her own career. She was reluctant, but after they went out a few times, uh, she began to be drawn to him. She saw his talent and his charm and was, I think, convinced that maybe she could achieve some of her life goals um, by being his wife. But that took a while. Their courtship was difficult. If you look back at the letters that he wrote to her, you can see that they went through some, some difficult times, especially when he asked her to come to Atlanta and meet his parents. Uh, she wasn't quite ready to do that. She knew how strong an influence uh, Daddy King was on his son. So they, they fought over that. And you could see that uh, there was a chance that the relationship might have broken up over that. She knew what she was giving up, and she had studied very hard. And, and one of the things that happened even after they became engaged to each other is that she insisted that she complete her uh, education at the New England Conservatory of Music. Mm -hmm. And uh, even after their marriage, uh, she was the one who organized uh, what she called freedom concerts uh, that would raise money for the movement. And during that time, she was uh, also uh, a strong pacifist. Um, she was uh, affiliated with an organization called the Women's International Strike for Peace. So she had her own uh, political involvement. She had been a member of the Progressive Party during the 1940s. Was she influenced by him in that way? I mean, was that something that she came to him with that they happened to agree on? I think it was more the opposite, is that she, she was the one who was the more politically engaged when they met. Martin had never been involved in a protest. I mean, she was, first of all, just older. She knew black political leaders like Paul Robeson. She had sung in a concert with him. So she knew these the older generation and admired this older generation of black activists. There's a wonderful picture I have of her at the Progressive Party convention in 1948. So at a time when, when Martin is still a teenager, she's already at a national political convention. And later on in the 60s, she's the one who speaks out against the war in Vietnam before Martin does. So is she the major influence for him in terms of the aspect of his career that had to do with pacifism and using nonviolent methods to make change? I think what I would see is that they both influenced each other, mm -hmm. that uh, we shouldn't see her as simply following him and not the other way around either. I think both had strong ideas. His came out of his religious faith. Hers came out of her political activism. Uh, she went to a very liberal arts school in Antioch. Many of the students were, I guess what you would call leftists, politically engaged. And he had never had an opportunity to do that because his education was more in the South at Morehouse and he was exposed to ideas. I remember once uh, she told me, said, I met Martin. Uh, he had a lot of wonderful, really interesting ideas, but he had never really done very much. So I think that, that he just not had the opportunity uh, to develop politically because of his, his own background and because when they met, he was barely old enough to vote. After school, Martin and Coretta moved back to Coretta's home state of Alabama, deciding Montgomery was the best place to start their family. They both wanted to return to the South. She had grown up in rural Alabama. He, of course, in Atlanta, Georgia. 
And they had both agreed that they would try to move back to the South and bring their progressive ideas into that region and try to be part of the movement for change. So he becomes a minister of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. Right. And Dexter Avenue Baptist Church had been a a place where many of the politically active black residents of Montgomery, that was that was their church. Mm-hmm. And uh, the previous minister, Burden Johns, had been a politically active minister. So that's one of the reasons why he chose that church, is he felt that these were people who would be receptive to his kind of theology. He didn't know, of course, that, uh, that there was going to be a bus boycott movement there. Mm-hmm. That was more an accident of history that he was in the same place as Rosa Parks. At that point, he had to make a decision about whether he was going to take a role as a civil rights leader in terms of the bus boycott. In December of 1955, Rosa Parks was arrested for refusing to follow a bus driver's order to move to a seat in the back of the bus to accommodate a white passenger. The local chapter of the NAACP had been waiting for a test case like this to challenge the issue of bus segregation. The NAACP met at Dr. King's church, and King was eventually elected to lead the boycott. It's hard to know what would have happened if he didn't happen to be in the same place. I think that that's one of the aspects of Martin Luther King's life that I think most people don't understand, is that to some degree he was in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. That... We wouldn't be talking about Martin Luther King if he had gone to Mobile, Alabama, rather than Montgomery, Alabama, for his first church. Sometimes when we're talking about someone great in history who created something, who discovered something, who there were other people percolating around at the same time who might have been the one, but for, were there other people who might have been the Martin Luther King if it wasn't him? Yes, definitely. To some degree, Rosa Parks had been a man and then a prominent person in the community. Uh, she might have become the leader, you know. But I think that he himself had some doubts about whether he should put himself forward when he was unexpectedly selected to lead the boycott movement. Mm-hmm. He had just declined uh, an offer to become an officer, maybe the president of the local NAACP chapter. So he probably felt that, you know, this is his first church. Maybe I should spend few years kind of getting used to being a minister. And also he do the dangers of becoming a, a civil rights leader. What in his past do you think would have prepared him or enabled him to take on that risk? He himself said, I'm not going to live past 40. And indeed he did not. But he clearly did understand the dangers. And many men might have said, I can't do this or just steered away. I think that his father gave him a role model of someone who was outspoken, even when it involved risk. His father leads a march back in the 1930s. He was probably taking as much of a risk as as Martin is going to take later on. Hmm. So I I think he saw his father as as a role model in this. And, And I think he also just had a deep religious faith whenever he had doubts, which he did have many times during the Montgomery movement. Should I have done this? You know, especially when it leads to the bombing of his home, when his wife and newborn baby are in the home. These are things that would cause doubt for anyone. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, the threats that he received constantly. He talks about the crisis that he faced one evening when he receives a 
particularly um, threatening call, threatening not only himself, but his his wife and daughter. He recalls that as a time when he thought, do I have the, the strength to face up to this and to carry on despite these threats? Basically, his deep faith that God is with him in the struggle that allows him to carry on. And did Coretta feel the same way? Did she also feel supported by her faith in terms of supporting him doing these things? Yes, yes, I I think so. Uh, There's a a moment a couple of months into the boycott, and both his father and Coretta's father, this is after they've been threatened, housebombing, and both of their fathers come and try to persuade them to leave, and especially Coretta to leave and take the baby and not be in Montgomery anymore. And they both say, no, we're going to stay. We're going to come through this. But there is that effort on the part of Daddy King and, and her father to say, you need to think of your daughter. You need to take care of yourselves. How much was ambition for him? a driver in terms of a need to not turn back and push forward? I think he wanted to be a great minister. I don't think that his ambition from the beginning was to become a great civil rights leader. Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that he grew into. And again, some of that is happenstance. Some of it is things that he could not have predicted. First of all, he could not have predicted that the Dungabry bus boycott was going to succeed. Right. That's what thrust him into the national limelight. If you go back after the success of the Montgomery bus boycott, which could not have been predicted because it really came about not so much because the local white leaders gave in to the boycott itself, but that the Supreme Court intervened and overturned the mm-hmm. bus segregation statute. That came at a time when Martin thought maybe the movement wasn't going to succeed because the city leaders were issuing an injunction against the boycott. So I think that only gradually does Martin realize that, yes, I am a leader. I didn't choose this, but he has a number of talents that make him a very effective leader, and particularly the fact that he's articulate and can articulate the goals of the movement. I think that's what his great skill was. Did he have religious thoughts that he was in some way chosen to be the leader? I think that he always felt that that was more accidental. It seems that even as he had doubt, there was something about him and his temperament, his character, that he was willing to take risks, especially, obviously, in this instance, with what was on the line. I think after a while, he finds that he doesn't have a choice to be a leader, a black leader during the 1960s, especially in the South. You take risks. Mm-hmm. There are leaders like Medgar Evers who are assassinated during that time. Mm-hmm. So he understands that death could be around the corner. He's assaulted. You know, even before the Birmingham campaign, he has a stabbing incident in New York where a woman comes up and stabs him in the chest, and that might have been the end of him. He has another moment in Birmingham where he's, he's there giving a talk, and a uh, Nazi who is sitting in the audience comes up and assaults him. That person could have had a gun, mm-hmm. and he would have been dead. So he has a number of incidents that remind him of his own mortality. I remember talking with Andrew Young, and he mentioned that Martin had a scar on his chest from the stabbing in 1958. 
And uh, every morning when he dressed, he would see that scar on his chest. Mm-hmm. And that was a constant reminder of his mortality and how close he had come to being killed. Let's take a quick break here. We'll be right back. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules a day smart metabolic burn by brain md can kickstart your metabolism fight stubborn body fat especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey right now save over 30 percent on smart metabolic burn at getsmartburn.com the lowest price anywhere that's getsmartburn.com don't delay transform your life with smart metabolic burn from brain md these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration our products are not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first like worthington and liz claiborne for her each in women's petite and plus sizes and stafford and mutual weave for him style and comfort for all even big and tall plus even more for the whole family like levi's and exertion here spring comes in all shapes sizes and colors jc penny make everybody count In 1963, six large civil rights organizations came together to organize the March on Washington for jobs and freedom. In the end, between 200 and 300,000 people of various races and backgrounds attended the march. The most well-known moment by far is Dr. King's famous I Have a Dream speech. I have a dream. One day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. 
he is making strides. He meets with the president. He rallies larger and larger numbers of people to him. So at the same time, these obviously dangerous things are happening, these frightening things are happening. He sees himself making some progress. I think his greatest fear was not of death, because I think he had to come to terms with that. I mean, it was certainly a fear, but I think his greatest fear was failure. Mm -hmm. When he becomes a leader, every time he puts his leadership on the line, you know, like he does in Albany, Georgia, or Mm -hmm. Birmingham, each of those occasions, the movement can fail toward the end of the Montgomery bus boycott. He goes to court thinking that in the courtroom, he's going to find out that the city leaders in Montgomery are going to issue an injunction manning the bus boycott. So he thinks it might be over. Mm -hmm. But instead, he gets the message that the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of the boycott. After leaving the jail in Birmingham, many of his staff say that the movement is likely to fail because he had gone to the jail and written a letter from Birmingham jail. But when he comes out of jail, the situation in Birmingham had not changed very much. There was no indication that the city leaders in Birmingham were going to give in to the demands of the movement. So there were many instances where he felt, and rightfully so, on the edge of success or failure, but things went well. Yeah, sometimes for reasons that couldn't have been predicted, like the children's marches that happened after he came out of jail. It was really the teenagers who went to jail who turned the tide in Birmingham, and no one could have predicted that. And throughout all of this, Coretta supports him. She's raising his children. Obviously, he has to travel a lot. He's moving around. He is certainly an admirable father, but she's the present mother. There's been long discussion over Fidelity and Martin Luther King Jr. And clearly he stayed married for his life. It's described as sometimes tumultuous, but certainly a loving marriage. But he's not always faithful. How do we understand that in the context of this man? The way I understand it is that a lot of great people are not perfect people. Mm -hmm. If we have the qualification that you cannot show greatness in one area of life while you are less than admirable in another area of life, that we would eliminate a lot of people who become wonderful presidents and leaders in varieties of areas of life. Yes. Simply because someone is a minister doesn't necessarily mean that they always live up to their own expectations. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really gets to the heart of Martin and Coretta. I think that throughout their marriage, they loved each other drawn to each other um, because of their common interest in changing the world for the better, their common interest in their children. But there were a lot of strains, and particularly when you have a husband who is traveling throughout the country, you know, after the success of the Montgomery bus boycott, Martin begins to be invited everywhere. There are months in the early 1960s where he might be away from home more than he's at home, and he's goes to places where there's admiring crowds waiting for him. The temptations are always there. When I look at his own reflections on this, he understands that there are examples in the Bible, and he cites them as King David. And and one of the things that I think is true is that he does feel, as he's reaching the end of his life, and he has these visionary goals of eliminating poverty, eliminating war, as well as eliminating racial discrimination, that 
maybe he won't be able to succeed because he is a flawed leader. And he gives that wonderful sermon on fulfilled dreams, Mm -hmm. where he, he talks about that and just says, you know, look, all I can say is I tried to be a good man and hopes that God will understand. You don't need to go out this morning saying that Martin Luther King is a saint. Oh, no. I want you to know this morning that I'm a sinner like all of God's children, but I want to be a good man. A lot of leaders who people surround and, you know, admire, develop a hubris over time, you know, the experience of being the leader, and aren't able to, even to themselves, acknowledge their flaws. It sounds as though you're saying he was aware and he had remorse for the things that he may, might have done that were essentially, in his own mind, not moral. And perhaps that made him a better leader in many ways. I've never encountered a saint, at least that I know of. And I think that as I study people in the past, what interests me is that they are complex individuals. What makes them interesting is is that complexity. If you have someone who is always living the perfect life, they might be a wonderful person, but not very interesting to a historian who looks at people who are in very many ways complex individuals who do things that are good, things that are not so good. Mm-hmm. And and you just take all of that together and you don't try to make them into saint-like people. Well, there's no question that our world has been changed forever by um, Martin Luther King. And by so many other people who uh, are also complex individuals. And we focus on him because he's the most famous, but he's not really in some respects that much different from many other people who mm-hmm. who also played important roles during this period of, of, of change. In 1968, Dr. King was in Memphis, Tennessee, supporting the black sanitation workers while they were on strike for higher wages and better treatment. At a rally for the workers, King gave his I have been to the mountaintop speech. In it, King references bomb threats made recently against him and says, quote, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing anything. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The very next day, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated while standing on his motel's second-story balcony. Do you have thoughts as a historian, had he not been assassinated, the ways in which he might have changed things further? Were there things on the horizon that it looked like he might impact had he lived a longer life? Oh, of course, yeah. I think that he had just started his life. When you compare him to someone like Gandhi, at the age of 39, Gandhi had done nothing really in India. He had achieved some change in South Africa. But all the things that we we think of in terms of Gandhi's accomplishments, they were still in the future when he was 39. For Martin Luther King to be assassinated at what is really an early age, what I would see is that, yeah, he had a lot 
he would like to have accomplished. One of the ironies is that because his visionary goals were so visionary, there would be no Martin Luther King holiday if Martin Luther King had lived because he would have been seen as someone trying to achieve things that were unachievable, eliminating poverty, as they said, eliminating mm -hmm. war. Do you think he could have really, on his own, stopped the war in Vietnam and stopped all the wars since then? He was trying to do something very radical. You know, just think of, of the Poor People's Campaign. I described it to my students in terms that they would understand. I said, imagine an Occupy movement. Some of them remember the Occupy movements of 10 years ago. Imagine that a leader today said, I'm going to go and occupy the National Mall of the United States until Congress passes anti-property legislation. You know, just think of how radical that would be, how audacious that would be. So I think that Martin Luther King, if he had lived, he would have been seen as this radical leader. And you don't make radical leaders into national holidays. So I think that what happened was that because he was assassinated before that saw the end of, of what he was doing in terms of the Poor People's Campaign, that it was then possible to say, let's honor this person because he was associated with this great civil rights movement. Right. And that is the place that he, he made impact. And the, that is the place where we saw incredible change following his time. The Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Civil Rights Act of 1965 were momentous changes in the history of the United States perhaps as important as the 14th and 15th Amendments to the Constitution. So we make Martin Luther King a national holiday because he is the person most associated with that civil rights revolution. You know, you can't choose a better person for that. For him, that was simply part of his vision, part of what he wanted to accomplish with his life. But our national psyche, I guess what you're saying is the combination of his success in this in this particular arena and his sudden death, which essentially martyred him, made us see him in a certain light. Yes. I noticed that on Martin Luther King holiday, there's a tendency to replay the I Have a Dream speech, mm -hmm. but not his speech attacking the war in Vietnam, mm -hmm. because that's still controversial, what he says in that speech. We have destroyed their two most cherished institutions, the family and the village. It is our national psychology that has essentially, in some ways, immortalized him further. Yes. Well, that wraps things up for this episode. A huge thanks to Dr. Claiborne Carson. For more on MLK's life and work, check out his edited volumes of The Papers of Martin Luther King Jr. Also, if you're interested in more information about the people we discuss in this series, you can check out my book, The Power of Different. And make sure to follow me on Twitter at Dr. Gail Saltz or at PersonologyMD to follow along with all the latest news about the show. Personology is a production of iHeartRadio. The executive producers are Dr. Gail Saltz and Tyler Klang. The supervising producer is Dylan Fagan. The associate producer is Lowell Berlanti. Editing, music, and mixing by Lowell Berlanti. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.